Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 94 of X-Lapsed, and uh, oh boy, it is Cable Day. Who would have ever thought that this would be a day I'd be looking forward to? Friggin' Cable. Kid Cable, no less. And, And here we are. I'm so excited to talk about this book. So let's just get right into it. This is Cable, volume four, number three. Had an October 2020 cover date. The story is called Ace in the Pouch. Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. Letters VCs Joe Sabino, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Bisa White Sabolsky, cover price is $3.99. And this one went on sale August 19th of last year, 2020. Now we open with, uh, well, what I gotta assume is a flashback to Extermination Number 1, which still, you know, it's a. Uh, it's within eyeshot, I can see it, but I still haven't gotten around to reading those just yet. There might actually be a Sunday special series for that if I could figure out a clever way to mix lapsed with extermination. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. That's actually why we did the Phoenix Resurrects lapsed first, because I thought of the cool name first, and not sure how to fit extermination into into our little naming structure here, but let's not worry about that just yet. Now, this is the scene where Kid Cable kills Old Cable, or Old Man Cable. This is a dream, or a flashback, or something, I suppose. Uh, Esme Cuckoo is with young Nate, and she can tell what kind of thoughts are going through his head, and, you know, it's, of course, him killing his older self. Now, he wakes up, and the pair realize that uh, they're not in Philadelphia anymore. Jump into our double-page spread of creds, and then our roll call, and it's a short one. And we've already seen them both. It's Cable and Esme Cuckoo. We pick back up at the North Pole. Nate and Esme were noinked here by the trio of Space Knights last issue. Now the knights are stood around the light of Galador, that big sword, wondering how Cable is able to wield it. Esme fills Nate in on how these knights aren't robots, but they're cyborgs. And Cable's like, hey, you know what? I'm a cyborg too, so maybe that explains why he's able to use this blade. Esme asks if Nate's got a plan, and... In perhaps the only smart use of overdone cursing in the Dawn of X books, our young hero proclaims that he's about to F their S up. And I say that that's a smart use of it because, I mean, he's a teenager, right? I mean, teenagers don't really exercise restraint when it comes to language, right? This isn't the try-hard horticulture stuff. This is actually something that feels natural and, and makes sense, at least to me. And so from here, we get some fighting. Now, the most rom-looking Space Knight grabs Kid Cable by his shoulders and demands to understand how the boy is able to interface with the blade. To which, Cable does that, 
I like that force thing that Luke Skywalker did when he was hung upside down by the Wampa, and he summons the sword to his hand, and in so doing, he also decapitates the Space Knight. So there's that. Another Space Knight, one with one eye, gets everyone to settle down so he can explain the situation at hand. You see, the Space Knight's planet, their home planet, is dead. And so they decided they're just going to inherit the Earth. Cable's all, whoa, 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 and offers them a suggestion. What if there was a way for them to get their home planet back? To which the many-eyed Space Knight, who's now wearing the rom-looking one's head around his neck like a necklace, responds incredulously because to do that, they would need a time machine. And, well, uh, you know, I, I know it's been a little while, but he does realize that they're in the Marvel Universe, right? Time machines aren't exactly outside the realm of possibilities here. Now, the Space Knights agree to give Cable the opportunity to make this all happen. And so, Kid Cable needs to know right away where the body of Old Man Cable is buried. Now, Esme dials into Emma Frost for some details, and we learn that he's buried at a cemetery in Westchester. Bingo, bango, we're in Westchester. And upon arrival, it looks like old Nate's been body-napped, grave-robbed even. And by the uh, open grave sits some garbage from a Mexican fast food joint out in Staten Island. Which, I guess it's a good thing that Kid Cable is keeping up with the rest of the Marvel Universe because my spidey sense does not start tingling upon seeing this. Now, it turns out that this... The Staten Island Mexican food thing is a hint that Deadpool was here. I guess one of his gimmicks right now is that he is the king of Staten Island. This is uh, one of those moments where maybe an editorial footnote might have come in handy. Uh, I mean, do I even need to say that anymore? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just me. Anyway, lickety split. We are at Deadpool's place, and you know what? When we're not trying to cram S.H.I.E.L.D. into every scene, Duggan writes a really, really good Deadpool. I'm not sure if this is Deadpool's first face-to-face meeting with Young Cable, but it's really, really good stuff. Uh, They talk about Young Cable's complexion and uh, the lack of hair on his pouches. I, (laughs) I giggled at this. I'm giggling now thinking about it. I think when you rely on things like the style of the 90s, you know, you say things like, you know, shoulder pads and pouches and stuff, I think that's very reductionist. And usually it causes me to, like, roll my eyes. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. You're talking about that era in comics, and you're not a fan, so okay. But this is kind of funny. This is kind of funny. Um, they also talk about the fact that uh, Kid Cable killed Deadpool's pal, To which I learned that Deadpool tried the very same thing just a few weeks before the kid actually got the job done. We don't get an editorial footnote for that either, but we'll take their word for it. There's also a fun bit where Deadpool tries to guess the the name of the cuckoo, and uh, he suggests that her name might be Bummer. I don't know why that got me to chuckle, but it did. Um, Now after some more pleasantries, Deadpool agrees to take the kid to his elder body. And Deadpool talks a little bit about grave robberies, and he compares Cable to Benny Hill, who, I didn't know this, but his grave was robbed too. Uh, looks like rumors circulated that Benny Hill was buried with like loads of gold and expensive jewelry, which, you know, it's not like he needed it where he was going. So some robbers decided uh, that maybe they'd make better use of it. Kid Cable doesn't know who Benny Hill was, to which Deadpool suggests that his older self would, and that he'd likely see the humor in it as well. 
Then we enter the cable crypt, which looks kind of like a game room. Well, I mean, it actually looks exactly like a game room. Uh, in fact, Cable's body is laid out under Lucite as part of a pool table. Now, the kid smashes through and nabs his elder self's cybernetic arm. From here, an info page, and it's a letter written from Cable to Deadpool. And it's actually kind of funny. Um, he's basically asking to have his body preserved and kept safe upon his death, ex- especially his prosthetic arm. Next, an info page again. Now, this is Deadpool's response to Cable, and it's also kind of funny. It's written as being exceptionally formal and very neat cursive. Um, it doesn't feel tr- like it's trying too hard. It's just plain funny. It's, it's good stuff. Uh, from here, we go back to comics, and our scene shifts back to Pennsylvania, and it's a meeting of the Order of X, you know, that weirdo cult. Uh, now, two new inductees are there to deliver a mutant baby to the Order, and I think it's safe to assume that this is Paulie and uh, What's-Her-Face's Todd. They're each given a blade and are allowed to carve X's into their faces, which they do. And we close out with the reveal of whoever's in charge here. I don't know who this guy is. He, too, has an X carved in his face, but his looks a lot like our, like, beveled Dawn of XX, you know, the one that's in all the logos of uh, these books, if that makes any sense. And, uh, well, that's where we leave it. Next episode, we continue our jaunt into the Wave 2s, and uh, we're going to be looking at another issue of Hellions, which, yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. But let's talk about this one. I love this book. (laughs) I don't know where this came from, but I love this book. It's just so much fun. Um, I've said it before, but can we, like, officially slide that Head of X crown over to Jerry Duggan? I mean, he's absolutely leading the pack with his Dawn of X offerings here, and it's not even close. I mean, there's plenty of good stuff here, but Duggan is just so far above the rest here. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, he's written a story here that makes me want to actively check out Deadpool's ongoing series, which I didn't think such a thing was possible. I'm the kind of guy who was, you know, <laughs> Deadpool before it was cool, back when we were constantly worrying that Deadpool was going to get canceled. Like, they even made jokes about it on the books themselves because the sales were just that poor. Nobody cared about Deadpool. Everybody, you know, people thought of him as a relic from the 90s, which, around the turn of the century, we were all way too smart for. So I was a big fan of Deadpool then, back, you know, Joe Kelly, Christopher Priest. And, I mean, a lot of people were, but... It's not like today. It's really not like today. So I never thought that I would want to actually check out another Deadpool book. It's very, very weird. Uh, I was just doing a little bit of research, and it's a little bit behind the curtain here, because uh, sometimes I write a script, and I don't get to record it for a couple days, because I, I try to keep ahead of myself here. And when I wrote this script, I did a little bit of research, and I found out that the latest Deadpool volume, which is volume friggin' eight, if you can believe that, there's actually an issue that unofficially ties in with our Dawn of X books. That's Deadpool Volume 8, Number 6. has to do with Krakoa and the X-Men. And, uh, and I was thinking that maybe we'll take a look at it, you know, the next time we have an opportunity, the next time there's a little opening in the schedule, we'll fit that in as an episode. And uh, when I wrote these notes, I said, hey, if anybody listening has read it, let me know if it's worth uh, picking up. Uh, but that was a couple days ago, and... In the interim, I have picked it up, so I 
I guess that's a moot point. Um, now, for, for the Deadpool bits here, I still think it would have been helpful to get a footnote uh, or something, just to tell us a little bit more about Deadpool's current lot in life, uh, especially since, you know, outside that issue, he's been he's become so distanced from the uh, from the X-Books, right? He's just like a Marvel hero now, or a Marvel character, I guess. He's really outside the X-Men family. It's a whole different editorial team as well, if I'm if I'm remembering right. When I, as I did flip through it, that was one of the first things I looked for, is to see who the editorial team was on it. And it wasn't our regular crew. So uh, Deadpool's in a whole different office, and uh, so maybe a footnote would have helped out a little bit here. Uh, I, you know, it's... I talk about this kind of thing a lot where I know we have the internet and everything is just a, a search away, but I don't think every book should be written with that in mind, right? I think that uh, these books should be able to be read and understood all on their lonesome without a Wikipedia, without a Marvel Wiki, uh, without a whatever Wiki. Uh, you know, an editorial footnote, I know it screams of comic book, but... Uh, you're you're creating comic books, so it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. Let's uh, let's see some more of those, especially if we're pulling a character who isn't really associated with the group anymore, right? Um, now what else? What else? We've got uh, more Space Knights drama, and uh, Lord help me, I'm getting into it. <laughs> so now this book's got me wanting to check out Deadpool and that pile of ROM comics that I rescued from a, a quarter bin like five years ago and never read. So. uh I still I, I asked Santa for the extra few hours a day And uh, they didn't come again They didn't come again How about we do that thing Where we talk about how humor In the Dawn of X books often fails to land And then mention how this book Manages to sidestep that criticism Each time out um, The comedy bits here are actually Kind of funny while not deflating any potential seriousness of the overall situation. I mean, this is just good writing. It could, it could have interjections of levity without making... It, this isn't brew eating the damn king egg, you know? This isn't, this isn't some dude getting hit in the nuts. This isn't a rapping grandmother. This is, this is just funny stuff. Uh, and it doesn't overwhelm the... Actual ongoing, you know, arc It's it's good, really good stuff Um, do we need to talk about Phil Noto's art? Probably not, right? I mean, there's nothing I can say that I haven't said before uh, I mean, even if the writing in this series was awful I'd still recommend it based solely on Phil Noto's art Lucky for us, we got both fantastic art and writing here <laughs> Again, who'd have who'd bet a single dime that Cable Friggin' Cable, starring Kid Cable, would be a highlight for me in this uh, in this program. Uh, certainly, I certainly wouldn't. Well, I remember when they announced that they were putting a Cable book out, I just rolled my eyes and thought, oh man, they're just bloating this thing till it pops. And here we are, it's one of the books that I'm most looking forward to every single time. Overall, I'd say if you're listening to this show, you need this book in your life. Um, and if you're only buying some... Dawn of X-Books, make sure they're the ones with Jerry Duggan's name in the credits. You won't be sorry. But uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about Cable, volume, whatever this is, number three. Uh, before we go, though, let's dip into the mailbag here. And we're going to do something a little different with the mailbag here. Uh, I've got two letters from Damien we're going to discuss here, and one that I actually pulled from the future. 
well, not really from the future, but the future from me, because usually I respond to letters in the order in which they arrive. But this time, we're going to have two pieces of mail, both discussing one book here, and I wanted to have them both in this episode. But we'll start with the short one from Damien here, where he's talking about Cable Number 2, so the previous issue of this very book. And he is just as shocked as I am. He says, why am I liking a Cable book? That's not supposed to happen. I can't bear Cable. Curse you, Jerry Duggan. Seriously, this issue was wonderful. I'm glad I discovered X lapsed because I never would have read this otherwise. I mean, it's it's wild, isn't it? Cable is a fun book. I don't think that's a word. That's a phrase that could have been said in the past thirty years, and here we are. Cable is a very very fun book. But now to Damien's other email here. We're going to talk about Marauders number eleven. Now Damien says the following. If you asked me to pick my favorite comic of 2020, it would come down to a battle between Marauders number 11 and number 12. I think they might be the perfect encapsulation. Cap, how do I say that word? Encapsulation. There we are. Of my love of the X-Men, which always comes back to the relationships between the characters. The way that the X-Men react to the death of Kitty and then her resurrection show why I've loved these characters for nearly 40 years. I was slightly perturbed that they chose to give Vi- Kitty a Viking funeral. It seemed unbelievable that no one involved realized that you shouldn't burn the Jewish girl. It's particularly jarring considering someone went so far as to research that the number 18 is a good omen in Judaism, as it represents the word chai, which means life. Nightcrawler could recognize the reference, but doesn't know that Judaism forbids cremation? I was under the impression that post-war German education insisted that all children study Judaism and the Holocaust. And I mean, even though we talked about cremation and even tattooing as it pertains to Judaism, I totally missed this in the reading. (laughs) I feel like an idiot. And we're going to talk more about the cremation in our next email here, but I'm like kicking myself for this, uh, this getting over my head. I had a whole bit about the, uh, I told a story about uh, someone trying out their comedy act on me where he was a Jewish comedian who wanted to get a tattoo, and his mother said he couldn't. And he said that uh, he would get a tattoo that says, please don't cremate, as a concession or a compromise, I guess. Um, And I totally spaced this, that they actually gave her the Viking funeral. They set her on fire. I mean, wow. And I also did not know that 18 is a good omen. Um, I had an idea that it was meaningful in some way, given Kurt's reaction during that scene, but I couldn't say how or why it was important. I mean, I could have Googled it, I suppose, but uh, I didn't. (laughs) But thank you for filling me in there. Uh, Damien continues. I was also surprised that the five were just throwing the failed eggs into the ocean. I know they established that Xavier doesn't restore the people until they emerge from the eggs, but surely with Kitty's powers, those 17 blank slate Kates could all survive. What if they all turn up at some point? There could be a pretty macabre story in that. And it does seem kind of bizarre, doesn't it? Uh, To me, you know, something we talk about, another chestnut here, we talk about how little these characters value life, right? And, I mean, to the point where they'll just chuck a bunch of half-kitties into the ocean. Um, you'd, you'd think they might grieve with each failure, but in fairness, that might take the books down a very dicey and debatey road that they'd prefer to avoid. 
and I'd also prefer to avoid it, so we will. Uh, Damien continues, Although Mora is below the island, she's probably fishing them out and doing awful experiments on them. That's definitely, definitely a possibility. Or maybe she's having like a tea party with them because she's so lonely down there. Uh, Damien continues, The scene with Dolores and Storm on the subway was also delightful. It's great to see the person behind the memos and get an idea of how they think. I've always been a fan of the Claremontian idea that everyone who meets Storm falls in love with her a bit. I know I did back in the day, and I'm 100% homosexual. And it's funny, when we started getting these info pages, I assumed they were just, like, for added flavor, and wouldn't actually begin to figure into the stories outside of, like, the sinister secrets and stuff like that. I'm happy to see that they are, uh, at least some of them are anyway. Uh, it makes the info pages almost worth reading. <laughs> Maybe not completely worth reading, but almost worth reading. Damien continues. It's also interesting hearing Evan's interpretation of the Crucible. It's a real testament to the possibilities of the current era that we all see the same event in slightly different ways. I'm really looking forward to your coverage of X of Tens as I loved it, but it's not perfect and it does go off in some directions that I think we will all react to differently. And yeah, you know, it's true. You mentioned, you know, your favorite issue would be would come down to Marauders 11 or 12. I think for me, if my voice would stop cracking here, these damn allergies, um, if I were to pick a favorite from 2020, it would probably be X-Men number 7. Simply because of how many questions it makes us ask and how so many of us will react just a little bit differently to what we're observing here. Um... It's not often that a book can ask a reader to draw their own conclusions and not feel like a cop-out. You know, like, there are a lot of esoteric writers out there who, like, they'll, they'll come up with half a story, but it'll be so mind-numbingly weird that they'll pass it off as a full story, and when you ask what it's all about, they're like, well, that's, up, that's for you to decide, right? Usually they feel like a cop-out. This one did not. This one really, really pulls off Everything it set out to do It gave us just enough information It withheld just enough information It, it showed us a gruesome scene A new status quo A lot of questions, a lot of meat on that bone And you know, as we continue our mailbag today We might come to find that Marauders number 11 Is up in that rarefied air Where it may be a debated story It may be a story that we will, uh, we will dig into more than, more than just now uh, Damien continues It's a little cheeky for them to label this as a path to X of Swords As the events have absolutely no bearing on it In fact, Marauders is effectively put on hold for the crossover They could publish a collection of Marauders numbers 6 through 12 and then 16 That would feel like an uninterrupted storyline And, uh, yeah, it's too bad And I bet they, they probably will do that um, And I know you mentioned that Storm is the only Marauder to get any real panel time during Exit 10s. I guess I kind of assumed that they were bringing Kitty back in order to have her and perhaps some of the other Marauders play a larger role. So that's it's kind of disappointing. And that's, uh, what, three three issues that were basically on a hiatus from this book. That's, I guess we'll see it when we get there. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to get to uh, Exit 10s, but I'm also... I'm also a little nervous that uh, 
it might be too big a bite because, I mean, that's going to be an entire month's worth of shows. So if it's bad, it's going to be real bad. Or if I think it's bad, I should say. It's going to be real, real tough. Uh, fingers crossed that I don't think it's bad. Uh, but thank you so much for your emails there, uh, Damien. And the reason I read the Your Marauders number 11 one is for the next email we're going to cover. And it's from our friend Jesse DeJong. He is also talking about Marauders number 11. Now, he says, This is probably going to be the most negative email I've ever written about something that generally doesn't matter. I'm so annoyed with Marauders number 11. Starting with the entire funeral, which was wrong. First, I guess that religion is truly gone on Krakoa. They may not permit burials on the island, but it's against the Jewish religion to permit cremation. It's bad enough that Kate is getting tattoos when that is generally forbidden, but apparently no one cares about religion anymore. Being a pretty religious person myself, I find it incredibly insulting. I'm not Jewish, but I find this disrespectful of the creators. And there's another mention of the cremation, which I'm sorry, I totally spaced on. I feel like such an idiot for not picking up on that, because I picked up on it the first time, but not this time. Jesse continues. Second, I know that Xavier's death was one thing, but at this point they were coming to the conclusion that Kate could not come back. This should have been an actual funeral service with hundreds of people there. Twenty mutants showed up for the service, including Agent X, who I'm not sure has ever met Kate. Kate was the headmaster of Xavier's, a member of the X-Men, New Mutants, Excalibur, S.H.I.E.L.D., the Marauders, and more. Was Caselli lazy with the art duties, or does death really mean nothing? This should have felt like an event. Someone died. Death is dead in the dawn of X. And, you know, I, I know I joked <laughs> that Agent X showed up, because why the hell was Agent X there? And I mentioned that Colossus was conspicuous by his absence, but Jesse's right. Um, Kitty's loomed pretty large in the Marvel Universe uh, over the past decade and change especially. I mean, you'd think there would have been a bigger turnout. Where's Pete Wisdom? We know he's around. Why wasn't he there? He's, you know, he, depending on who you ask, he was uh, like her first mature relationship. And if you ask Chris Claremont, that, that was, uh, there was some illegal sort of stuff there because when he came back, he had Kitty declare that she was only 16 years old when we saw her in some very uh, mature situations in Excalibur with uh, Mr. Wisdom. Hmm. Uh, where was the rest of the Excalibur team? The original Excalibur team, right? I mean, we know Megan's on the island, right? I don't know why they didn't show up to this. Where was Star-Lord and the Guardians of the Galaxy? I mean, she rolled with them for a bit recently, right? She's been an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but then again, who hasn't? Um, but still, there should have been representation here. You're right. If I had to choose between the options you presented with either Caselli being lazy and death being meaningless... I gotta go with the latter here. Death is meaningless. Uh, this could have been an event, and perhaps it should have been, but it's a different world now, unfortunately. Uh, Jesse continues. Third, Kate has been acting like a pirate for maybe a month in continuity, and so they throw a pirate flag on her and coins on her eyes and give her burial at sea with her sword? It's another great point. Uh, which I never even thought about. Uh, she hasn't been cosplaying pirate for all that long at all. So this funeral, outside of being, you know, um, against her faith, it also feels very inauthentic. She's been pretending to be a pirate for not very long, right? It's, uh, it's weird. Um, Jesse continues. 
This is Kitty Pride. This is the X-Men who was our eyes in the X-Men for decades. She was the kid that kids could relate to. She was everyone's sister. She was a strong Jewish character that people could watch and understand. When lists are made of Jewish characters in comics, guess who tops it? Her character deserved better. What, what is going on in the X department? Hox Pox Docs was a cool idea, but now it is at the expense of removing the fundamental characteristics of some of our favorite characters. Okay, I'll breathe because Kate does come back. I will be so annoyed, though, if the reason she couldn't pass through the gates is because she has to phase through the gates. That should have been the first thing Kate would have thought of doing. She's a genius, or she was. At least the answer won't be because she was a Neo. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I've read this mail before, and every time I get to the Neo line, I laugh. Because... <laughs> oh, because that's a... That's an awful story. Oh, boy, that's an awful story. But you're right. You're right. Um, and it's weird. I'm, I'm, like, torn because on one hand, I thought it was a really good issue. But when you do take the bits here that, uh, that Jesse brings up, there's a lot of holes in it. It's still well told. It's still well written. The characters relating to each other is still very, very well done. I think all the characters here who were represented were represented well. But there were definitely some odd omissions. Um, and, you know, uh, they were gonna, I mean, they were never going to throw in the towel completely on bringing her back, right? They said that it would just be a lower priority. But at the same time, they had no answers. So for all they knew, she was not coming back. For all we knew, for all they knew, this was going to be the one that got away. You know, Kitty was never going to come back. There was something about her that was... that the resurrection protocols could not fix. And so what she gets is a cosplay pirate funeral with Agent X as our guest of honor. <laughs> At least she's not a Neo, right? But uh, Jesse wraps up with, uh, To answer your question on how Jubilee got her powers back, she got them back toward the end of Generation X Volume 2, when Quentin Quire used the last of the Phoenix power that he had held in him, and they restored her powers. I actually didn't mind Jubilee being a vampire, but I do like her having her powers back. And I... I still do mind Jubilee being a vampire. Because that was such a... Uh, the Victor Gishler stuff. Um, one of those. It was like a, one of those hype train things, right? Uh, where it was going to be the first X Men number one in twenty years or something like that, and and they started it with a vampire story. And, and I mean, if you've listened to my discussions on the recent Wolverine stuff, uh, you know vampires ain't my thing. <laughs> Even in the best of times, ain't my thing. But. Uh, I found that uh, Curse of the Mutants, or whatever they called it, the Victor Gishla stuff, to be especially uh, poor. And uh, having Jubilee, I mean, we talk about being like too cool for the 90s stuff, right? And uh, when I see Jubilee get her powers, well, her powers were gone after House of M, but uh, we have her turned into a vampire. It seems like just... I mean, just another nail in the coffin of a, of a 90s character. It's very... Eh, it's not my thing. Not my thing. But I want to thank you so much for writing in, Jesse. Especially, I know it's not always easy to write negative stuff. Um, 
especially like as you said stuff that really doesn't matter too much but uh i mean i've dedicated to hundreds and hundreds of hours to this stuff that doesn't matter over the past several months so i'm totally there with you i'm totally there with you but uh i want to thank you for offering a different point of view because this is the best part of the show for me is actually seeing these things seeing these stories seeing these characters and seeing these arcs through other people's eyes other people's prisms you know because uh you and damien both pointed out the uh the burning was a, a no-no, and I'd spaced it, because if had I not spaced it, I'd have mentioned it. But also the great discussion here, I find that maybe Marauders number 11 will be another one of our evergreen books, right? Like X-Men number 7, where we're just talking about it and sharing thoughts and uh, just experiencing it through each other's eyes here, and that's, like I said, that's the best part of this show. That's the best part of the show. So if anybody has any thoughts... On Marauders number 11, please, please uh, let us know so we can uh, discuss them further. But uh, thank you, Damien. Thank you, Jesse. Really, really cool stuff. Um, now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for Marauders number 11 or anything you want to talk about, uh, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can hit me up on email at 90sxmen at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. We've also got xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can talk to us on Facebook about whatever you want over at 90s X-Men on Facebook. And you can listen to the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, great comic, great conversation. I had a lot of fun doing this episode, so I want to thank everyone so, so much for being a part of it and for sharing your time with me today. And uh, as always, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. Oh